Good morning, everybody. It is a great privilege to be able to talk about the things of God to people, and it's my responsibility today to talk to you about tithing. And and, uh, because of the tight time we we work under, we'll just keep straight at it, hey? So I've just written down there that a tithe is a symbolic tenth of something uh, that represents the whole thing it represents. That's the thing. The tithe is not to be thought of in your mind as just tenth so that, you know, the other bit, it doesn't relate to the other bit, but it's a symbolic representation of the whole. That's what it is. So it just represents the Hebrew word, the tenth, a tenth. Now somewhere here there's a clickeroo, isn't there? Thanks. Thanks, mate. Oh, down. So uh, today uh, I want to talk to you about how the Father speaks to us and makes himself known um, uh, because the, the tithe is a symbolic thing. And so we're going to talk about symbols for a bit. And, um, and here we can see that words are the most common symbols that we use. And they're amazing, aren't they? You know, we've been singing about the name, the name, the, the name of God, a symbol that represents God. The, the Jewish community for many years, many centuries, actually uses the, the, the phrase Hashem, the name. When they speak about God, they say Hashem. The name they speak about God as the name, because the name of God to them is uh, is a fearful thing. Uh, when you talk, when you call somebody's name or you mention somebody's name, it's like invoking them. It's as if you are calling them to be present. So that when we talk about somebody, particularly when we talk about them in an unflattering manner, we are invoking them into that context, you know, and it's that's how they think. You know, so you've got to be very careful what you say about God because he hears and he knows exactly what's being said because he's present. And uh, so they <laughs> use the phrase the Hashem as a way of being reverential and sort of saying, we're not going to get into any deep water here, are we? Go, oh, Hashem, you know, we'll just talk about that. But the thing about the phrase Hashem, the name, it means... It means God as he really is. God as he really is. His true character. That means It means referring to his true character. We have many names in uh, words, symbols in the Christian faith that are quite challenging for us because they're not used every day. I heard you praying uh, today, uh, Christy, about the holiness of God. Uh, we love the that element of God, even though we all acknowledge there's something mysterious about the word holy and about holiness. It seems to actually be beyond our comprehension. But somehow or other, it carries great spiritual weight as a symbol. And I suggest to you that what the word holy refers to is it refers to the complete uniqueness of God, to the perfection of God in his character. Nothing else, no one else is like that. So when we talk about God's holiness, we're referring to the fact that he is, he is perfect in a way that no one else is perfect. But what we see in humanity 
at times is we see these little flashes of good character or these little flashes of generosity or these little flashes of love. So what we've done in the, in the language thing, in the words and symbols thing, is we've created these words that we call abstract nouns. They are nouns for things that aren't actually material, physical, that you can touch, but that are really important. Words like love, like honesty, like kindness, like grace. These words are challenging words because you can't actually put your hand in your pocket and say, here's grace. You know, it's, it's more complicated than that. What they actually refer to is they refer not so much to a complicated idea, but they refer to something you see in a person's actions. So when you see somebody being kind, you can go, that's kindness. When you see somebody being loving, you say, that epitomizes love for me. That really rings a bell for me. And that symbolic, symbolic word love now means something more to me because I've seen something that somehow embodies it or reflects it. And this is the challenge that we have between what I call the ideals and the reals. What I'm talking about here is the fact that when we... Let's think about the way in which we have, we've talked about these abstract words, which are kind of ideal things. They're kind of, in our minds, that we use a word like love. In a sense, we understand that this is sort of a perfection. You know, it's kind of a perfection of human relationships. And, um, <laughs> and it's hard to kind of put it all together in, in a few words. That's why we create abstract words which are kind of like just one word that says a lot of things that you have to unpack in a big conversation or in a whole life. So that sort of thing. And actually what we recognize is that these things that are so important that are the non-material abstract ideals, these things that are so important, we never actually see them in their perfection, in their completeness, in the human experience. We only see them as flashes type thing. And then what happens is we see somebody do something very kind and then we see them return to their normal pitch of kind of ordinariness. You know, isn't that true? You know, that's one of the great problems of talking like this is because I don't want to give you, you bums, a lot of, I, I use that phrase expressly, expressly so that you don't think too highly of me. I'm just ordinary. You know, with a wonderful opportunity to handle something that's extraordinary. So, pardon me, I don't really mean your bums, but I just said it to just shock you into the reality that I swear sometimes. <laughs> so this is the challenge. The challenge is the relationship between these glorious ideals and the reality that we live with. That it's, how do we do this? How do we live in these two worlds? It's like the challenge of being people of the kingdom, but also being people of the natural world. We're conscious of this tension, aren't we? We're people with high ideals, glorious expectations, all the revelation of the word of God, but then we've got to get out in the world and somehow or other live that and it's very difficult 
to do that. We're not quite sure whether we ever really get it right. But every now and again, something happens that's like a flash of divine revelation. Something happens. We call it a miracle (laughs) or something supernatural happens. Something happens. We get a word of wisdom or something like that and a person realizes that God is speaking to them through the stupid idiot of an old bloke. This is the challenge between the ideals and the reals. And this is this ideals, our way and other ways of being human. What happens is that we develop these, these language, we develop these words and these symbolic actions and things like things like handshakes and hugs and kisses and slaps on the back and high fives and these sorts of things. These are all part of the language of a particular culture that don't necessarily make any sense to people in Indonesia or somewhere else, you know, because they've got their own set. And that's one of the challenges we face with the Bible, is this this tendency to assume that because we're relatively familiar with the Bible, that actually the symbolism of the Bible is now part of our language. Actually, in some ways, it's amazingly part of our language because our language, the English language, has been so involved and so affected by the, 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 the Bible that it has within it words that, <laughs> that are like, you know, historical memory ticks. And the, by the word tenth, in the English word, we use the word decimate to kill or remove one-tenth of the whole. See? So it, it's, it's words like that that are there. You sort of say, how did we get that word? We got it from this stuff. That in the Bible, there's been this all long, long representation of the representative tenth. So, God, this is the thing that God's communicating with people all over the world in different languages and using different symbols. And he reveals himself firstly to people in the creation. Because people, if you think about children, for instance, they don't come necessarily linguistic. And they come, but with all their... Have you noticed how, for instance, a little baby will see something it likes and just rub it in its little fingers, you know, and it's learning all about its sensory connectedness. And it's listening to the tone of our conversations, doesn't know the words, but picks up the mood and the tone of how how things are going in the household. And we recognize that. So we kind of say, oh, well, what was... Try not to create that tension and anxiety in a family environment because the kids may not know what the issue is, but they pick up the mood. So that happens in all families, even though they're using different words and different symbols. That's happening because God made us that way. (laughs) He made us with that sensitivity. So... There's so many ways in which he reveals himself in the creation. I was thinking when you were talking about trees, Graham, this morning, and before you actually, so when you mentioned it, it sort of came to my mind. Uh, Some time ago, I think I've talked before about um, 
about soil regeneration and some of the things that people have learned about trees, particularly about trees, but not just about trees, about all plants, that apparently in the soil there's a, there's a kind of benign fungi that attach themselves as filaments. Can we fix that door, please? As filaments, the little fine tubes that attach themselves to the roots of plants. And what they do with those is they become like little extra long roots so that they can pick up as much moisture in the soil as possible and push that back through the filament up into the plant. And what the plant does to reward them, to keep them attached, is it sends little packets of sugar down to the fungi and they go, yum, 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 I'll grow a bit further. And it grows out so that sometimes these fungi are literally miles and miles and miles long and they connect trees to each other. So if a tree is struggling a bit, sometimes the other trees will actually send moisture to the struggling tree. Amazing things, amazing things that are going on under the soil. Now, how does this speak to us about God? I think it's a fantastic illustration of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> How we're connected. You know, but we're connected at a root level. <laughs> we're connected in the Spirit. We're connected at that point where we're not necessarily visible to everybody else. In the unseen realm, we are connected. Things like that where God is speaking to us through the creation. And of course he speaks to us through scriptures. There are many stories and these are stories of people. Um, and not they're, they're not abstract things, they're concrete ex uh, historical experiences that he speaks to himself, speaks of himself to us about. I was thinking about that passage in John chapter 5 where Jesus said to the Pharisees and others that were around him at the time, he says, you search the scriptures seeking for eternal life through them but you refuse to come to me even though they are in fact pointing to me as the source of that life because why don't people want to come to Jesus in a personal way well when I didn't want to come to Jesus it was because I was embarrassed about what he would see in me and I was concerned about what he might demand of me or expect of me and so the cost was just too high so I kind of wanted a kind of a relationship at a distance so I got enough of the benefits without any of the obligations and why was it I thinking that it's because I didn't know his name I didn't know what he was really like if I'd known who he really was I wouldn't have been so reticent anyway so we've talked about symbols and the tithe is the symbol then. It's a symbol of the God's giving nature. It's, it's a, and especially his, the great gift of his son. But he is giving us, as the scripture says, he gives us all things richly to enjoy. Every good and pleasant gift comes down to us from the Father of lights in whom is no shadow caused by change. Referring to his character, he's always that way. He's always going to be generous. He's always going to be reliable as the great source of things. And that's what the tithe is saying to us, you see. The tithe is saying that every good and 
and, and blessed gift comes from the Father. It all comes from the Father. Whatever we receive comes from him. You know, I've been thinking a lot about life as I get into this, my dotage, um, about the way in which the things that I have done in life are so inconsequential. They're just ordinary things. But in the midst of those ordinary things, I've been privileged to observe God do things. Do things I can't do. He uses ordinary human beings as agents of his glorious purpose, his extraordinary purpose. I just want to take an example. Is anybody here that came this morning saying, I wish somebody would pray for me because I've got a health issue. Might be a mental health issue or a physical health issue, but I would just love it if somebody would lay their hand upon me and pray for me. Is anybody like that today? who feel, you know, that we're a safe enough space to say, yeah, that's me. It's a bit difficult, isn't it? Is anybody here who has got absolutely nothing wrong with them? (laughs) So we're going to pray for your pride (laughs) and delusion. Isn't it interesting? Anybody here who's... Can you do that? Come on out. Because Jesus instructed us when somebody, when praying for somebody, he says, lay your hand upon them. And I think he was probably meaning on the head, but they would normally be wearing something over their head anyway, so it won't mess up your hair. So (laughs) think about your shoulders, your head. It's quite connected. He said, lay your hand upon them. And they'll get well. Isn't that amazing? The point is, this is just, this is the difference between the real and the ideal. Here, I'm just putting my little old human hand that's got absolutely no power whatsoever upon you. But it's there as a symbol of the fact that his hand of blessing is upon your life. And in the ideal and perfect realm, he never removes it. I... I'm finite. I'm here in a moment, gone. He's never missing, never absent. The hand of blessing is upon you. And it's far greater and more powerful than all the infirmities and the frailties that plague us, whether by reason of age or, you know, your life as a bungee jumper. (laughs) Whatever, you know. And so we celebrate you, Jesus, today. Your hand of blessing is upon us. Thank you for this little symbol that you give us as a way of participating in your completeness and your perfection. Perfection of your power. Perfection of your love. He only ever wants to express his power as love. May we receive your grace in Jesus' name because of who you really are, Jesus. Amen. You're a Christian symbol. It's a way by which the ordinary becomes part of the extraordinary. And the tithe is how we express something about God. It's about how we express that every good thing we received 
not because we earned it or deserved it, but because he just loves us. He just loves us. And he would give us more if we were cool with that. And so when we give it back, we're saying, this expresses my love and appreciation of you. Isn't that beautiful? You see, how do you express your love and appreciation? <laughs> how do you do it? How do you say thank you to a generous God? <laughs> you know. How do you say that aspect of your name, I so want that to be part of my name. I'd like to think that if I was thought of anything, it was in how I reflect who you are. Not because I'm trying to big note myself, but because if I don't have that, I have nothing. And it goes back a long way, this. Uh, this is Jacob speaking to God after he's had that dream, right? He's had that dream, he wakes up and says, oh, God is in this place and I didn't even realize it. You know, and then he says this, he makes this vow, he says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, oh, I've ruined things. I'm running away from home because I've just messed things up and my brother wants to kill me and my father doesn't want to see me even though he's a blind man. Even if he had sight, he wouldn't see me. If I could come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be the house of God and all that you give me, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. He's just sort of saying it's a symbol of recognizing that I don't deserve anything and yet you are promising to be kind to me and gracious to me and I'm going to live in that promise because I've got nothing else. So I will live in that promise. And as it proves true, I will honor you. Before Moses put it in the law, hundreds of years before Moses put it in the law, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they were doing it as a way of saying, without you I'm nothing, I have nothing, I achieve nothing. <sighs> i got to start wrapping this up but listen to this great reading if you want to read along with me I'll read it relatively slowly and I'd love to hear your voice it's from Deuteronomy 26 and it's in preparation for the, uh, uh, he's speaking to them in preparation there they are they're camped by the Jordan River and, uh, and Mount Nebo that we read about this morning in did we in our readings did we read? Mount Nebo but I thought where do, anyway was it in our readings this morning? Moses, yes. Yes, looking over the land. Oh, I think about Mount Nebo. You many early European settlers as they would come and stand on Mount Nebo and they'd get that view right the way out to, you know, um, 
Bribe Island and you can see her all, all the way there, you know, that way. And if you look the other way, you can look right out there to Toowoomba in the hills. You know, so that's the sort of thing he says. He's there and he says, when you come, okay, here we go. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Let's just read those words again. Is giving you for an inheritance and take possession of it. Okay, see that? See, here's God giving and he, he's not giving with strings attached. He's giving for an inheritance. Okay. And live in it, we'll carry on. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that your Lord God will choose and make his name to dwell there. Isn't that interesting? Here, he's, this is how he's, we are expressing, they're expressing a sense of gratitude to God for what he's done, bringing them into a possession where they're going to live. Something as ordinary as a basket of fruit and veggies. Isn't that something? That's all he's asking for. He's just asking for something that they can do within their reach, but from the heart. Let's read on. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Isn't it? It's just you get the feeling? Isn't it amazing? So natural and yet so supernatural. The real and the ideal coming together. Read on. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. This is what they're to say. A wandering Aramean was my father. Homeless. Homeless, right? Hasn't got a home. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. When you finish paying all your tithe of your produce in the third year, this is the year of tithing 
give it to the Levite, the sojourner, that's the, the refugee, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Isn't it amazing? What he wants to happen is that our gratitude gets applied in a practical way in the lives of other people who need it. Isn't that wonderful? So, isn't that God? It's a beautiful thing, so practical. I know I've got to finish here, but that's the beginning. <laughs> it's a wonderful subject, and it's worth not just dismissing, but sort of thinking through and saying, how do I express in a practical way my gratitude to a loving and generous Father? As we come around the table today, we're going to just look for a little while, uh, some singers and musicians, if you would come and also those that are serving at the uh, table today. We're going to look at how the cross is a symbol how it's such an unusual symbol. It's a symbol, and as I write here, when we think about John chapter 3, verse 16, it's that God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's more or less how we see it. And what it means is it means that God expressed his love for the world by giving his only son. This is how he expressed his love, by giving his son. It, it was an emotional thing. It was a very powerfully redemptive gift, powerfully transforming gift that brought us back into right relationship with God, that transformed us and our identity and our future. He expressed his love for the world by giving his only son, the one who expresses his heart and purpose toward people and the entire creation perfect, perfectly. That's what Jesus does. He expresses how the Father feels and is positioned toward us and toward the whole creation. And he did it in order to reconcile us and all creation to himself. And I just wanted to pick this scripture up as we come to, and maybe you can read this with me, just because it's, it's just Paul saying this in his words. Jesus is, you want to read it with me? This is Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you see there the difference between the visible Jesus and the invisible Father. You see, the, you know, the, just because he's invisible doesn't mean that his perfections are unreal. <laughs> it's just the limitations. Okay, so he's the image, he's the manifestation of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That means the heir. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or powers and authorities. And all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things in order, that means, in significance. And in him all things hold together. In Jesus this is. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is our beginning, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the cross has become the symbol of the blood of Christ by which we have been reconciled. And this morning we see that in that small basket of fruit and veggies that they brought to the high priest, they whether whether consciously or unconsciously, they were recognizing the Father giving his firstborn, his first fruits, that which was best. And they're laying it down saying, I acknowledge, Lord. I acknowledge, Holy God, how it is that you reconciled me. Now we see it. Basket of veggies. Oh, amazing. Let's come. Just take the symbols. These symbols of the body and blood of Christ. They speak to us. We don't fully understand how it is that He, in the offering of His body and blood, reconciled us, but they we know that they have. So as you take those symbols today, just thank the Father for His great gift. Think too about how you and I will express our love and gratitude to Him in this world.